Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? I'm a Magic Pro now. I have a Magic Pro point. How's everybody doing? Uh, this is just it, that's just gonna make everything worse for me. Um, so, Let's just start that over. I don't want to be the guy that says that. No, no, that happened. That's staying in the podcast, and this is staying in the podcast. I was kidding. I was totally um, kidding. All right. So, <laughs> um, today we're back. We are now formally in Los Angeles. So, all you guys who listened to our last podcast, we made it out of the desert. Um, we are alive. Uh, it is the week before GP Charlotte, and it is the week after all of those invitational modern tournaments. So, like, the format has been kind of flipped on its head. Um, today, we are going to be talking about versatility and how versatile you can be yeah. in the modern format. What that means to us is essentially, like, the the different modes you can be getting out of multiple cards and, and how those cards can work to further your game plan in different ways. Which cards you could be playing, which cards you should be playing. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's been actually an exciting week just for modern content in general because all the Star City guys and Channel guys are writing about oh, it. This is Christmas. I mean, like because it's modern season for pre TQs, because it's modern GP season, like everything's all of the content online is is made for me, which is wonderful. It's and really you guys. fun. It's fun. It's cool to hear like some of the top voices in the format write like long articles. Ari Lax right. had a really good article this week. Yep. Sam Black had a good one this week. Chapin had a good one this week. So everybody. All right. So before we get into the subject at hand. Uh, I want to mention that you guys should follow us on Twitter. It's great. We are at the MMCast. You can tweet at us right now, and we will respond with you. If you're in any way derogatory, we might be derogatory back, but we'll argue with you all day long about anything you want to argue about. Like, legit all day long. Like, like my phone blows up because Kester gets into, like, these, like, philosophical conversations about the nature of control in modern. And, like, whoa, me and Travis Wu had a really long conversation about interaction and what that means on a physical level <laughs> and like a philosophical level he like there's like the word philosophy was in one of those tweets and i was like i like got the alert on my uh. phone and it was like it was like philosophical i was like oh my god this is about magic cards i was like why is this happening to me right now if i was going to get into a philosophical conversation based on magic with any pro player it'd probably be travis Wu. Yeah. Uh, all right <laughs> so and beyond that rate us on itunes uh youtube all that kind of stuff all right so let's move on to what we're talking about what is what does versatility mean? Well, versatility modern to me would be, and, and we're going to break this down into like a few different classes of cards. But there's a handful of cards that have been printed since the beginning of Magic that have multiple options. When you cast the spell, you can do X, Y, or Z, or you do X or Y, or if you do X, this happens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what it is, usually they're cards that are designed with multiple medium to low level uh, effects that you can choose from. But you're you're mitigating that medium to low level power against like a cost and the ability to do multiple things right well and, and and to clarify i think there's actually there's micro versatility and macro versatility today we're going to be mostly focusing on micro which is what you just described which is cards that have multiple choices or multiple modes that you can use differently when you use them the macro one would be something like uh i want to say uh remand where like this card can be or like lightning bolt which like these are cards that can be used in like a few different ways and like how you use them can really affect like your play lines and how you're going to play with the card but uh, in, in reality it has one real option and you, it just can be used differently and that actually speaks to an even larger point which is sort of the definition of what a deck style really is and the true. cards within true, 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 that deck true. and how you play them the, the best example of this ever is the update to flora's classic article who's the beatdown uh i believe they were talking about the fairies deck 
the fairies deck back from like 07, the Lorwyn block, which was like this very powerful deck where you'd resolve Bitter Blossom and then you had all your fairies right. resolve it into speed afterwards. It was a very sort of controly deck, but what would happen is in that matchup, sometimes you would have to switch over to the beatdown. You'd have to become very right. aggressive. So cards like Pestermite, for instance, or cards like... Which is just the 1-1 creature that can attack, and you can attack, you know, it gets bigger because it's a fairy, or... Cards like Spells Counter Spray yeah. that are supposed... To, you would just play them aggressively and just right. attack with them. Which, though, even back to the macro-micro point, that is more of a macro-level versatility. Well, there are decks out there that are super micro-versatile, like Birthing Pod used to be. Right. Or, like, what Survival of the Fittest used to be. Or, you know, right now, what different... Like toolbox decks generally try and aim at being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now into specific cards. <laughs> or, card, or, card or types. Or we should, we should why define... is versatility good? Why is it important to be versatile? Well, let's let's just really quickly define the card types specifically that what we're talking about. We're okay. gonna go over each one here. So the card types in in question are are charms, commands, planeswalkers, and the sort of inherently versatile outlier cards. These are creatures with like multiple abilities, or sometimes like Vidillion Click is a good example of a thing that like you can target your opponent or yourself, and so there's like a level of versatility there. Sure, sure, sure. And so if you look back chronologically at the design of magic since the beginning and how these were created the original version of these cards were charms they were pretty bad charms from mirage i think i think unless i'm wrong here but like there was a no that's where they started but i I would argue that bad is a strong word i think most if not not most a chunk of them saw significant tournament play sure sure sure. And, and and i mean some of the abilities on those cards are outdated obviously like vision charm for instance mills for or phases something or changes land types like stuff that is almost totally irrelevant by today's design standards right so you're really looking at cards they it really came in vogue later on when when i think probably in the modern era you saw first in time spiral block you saw like cards like Evolution Charm and, and Piracy Charm. You, they were trying to make them a little more useful. Followed by in Lorwyn when you had Planeswalkers and Commands introduced in the same set. Right. Followed by now we've seen Charms in, in Return of Ravnica, Charms in Alara Block, Charms in Cons. We've seen another set. We we have a Charm in every single color combination, but five colors and the four color whatever the Nephilim color. And, and they will all be created at some point. It's yeah. design space that's unexplored. So it's. Uh, that's sort of the history of it, and as any kind of a competitive player likes versatility, it's kind of just goes about saying. It just means you have more options. Um, so I think we're going to start first at uh, at charms. Well, I, I do want to say before we get there that the reason versatility is like the way these cards are really made to work is this card. Each of the abilities it has is weak compared to its converted mana cost, or okay at best. But the fact that you get to choose between them is what really launches all of them into the next level of competitive play and why they're all nowadays see some competitive play unless they like completely whiff like gold, uh, Gruel Charm was sure. kind of a huge whiff. It's a terrible card. It was not a terrible card. It's just pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, so that should actually, if you guys are modern fans and you read content and you stay up on the, the format, you probably know where this episode is coming from. And it's coming from the fact that Kolagon's Command is the only card that anyone's talking about right now. It's in, you know, three or four of the top finishing archetypes, or, or at least the most prominent archetypes this last week. Everybody's talking about Kolagon's Command. And we just were thinking about why it's good, and we wanted to sort of do an episode not just specifically about that card, but about related cards. And 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 that's a good example of a card that its abilities are weak in comparison to its mana cost, but because you get two of them and they're relevant to the format, it's particularly interesting. We'll get to that. So let's let's go through each of the different types and kind of talk about how they work and why their versatility is powerful. So let's start with charms. So charms, as we said, you know, started way back in the day. They're still making them today. They have now made single color ones. They've made double color ones. They've made triple color ones. 
Every single charm is an instant speed card, uh, and they all have three options. There are 26 charms, legal and modern. Uh, there are more than that. That's a lot printed. of options. 26 charms. Of the 26 charms, I'll list off a couple that are actually that actually see play in modern. Right. Jund charm uh, used to see play in sideboards out of Jund because it has pyroclasmid instant speed attached to it as well as uh, remove graveyards, uh, and then a kind of irrelevant make a creature bigger ability. Esper Charm has seen play in Esper Control Lists because you can draw two cards or... That card just does fucking it. That card just does everything. Um, that card's pretty sweet. You have tried to play that card before. Simic Charm recently has actually seen more play. Um, the reason being, it's a strong card that I think is underplayed, and people are realizing this because it's it, it blanks Abrupt Decay, which is one of its best abilities. Right. I, I do think if it finds a home, it's going to be an Infect Dex. That being said, I don't... This is a card that I've always wanted to be good, and always seems to just not be good enough. It's like, always a none of the under, effects yeah. are worth two mana. Yeah, yeah, but but it, it is powerful because it blinks a rep decay. It also blinks lightning bolt. It is also your own giant growth, right. and it has that like I can bounce your pestermite response to twin ability. Right. So right. so it's interesting. That sees some play. I've heard people play Rakdos Charm before, though it's pretty fringe. That's like a sideboard against it's a twin. Pretty, I would argue that there it's good against twin, but like more importantly, is is just like. A lot of these charms are great sideboard cards because exactly. they like they're like oh I can cover all of my different matchups vaguely right and this we'll get into a little further why the charms are interesting because that's sort of part of the conversation right is it charm is a four of and several decks in modern yeah um, that card's very good yeah yeah that's uh, that's one of the best ones. one staple um, Golgari charm is a sideboard card that occasionally has seen play in main decks but yeah. is you know it's strong for one or two abilities and then the last one in modern that sees play is Boros charm and that's a straight aggro card. Usually played for its four damage ability. I mean, I would argue it's the strongest of these two color charms in the sense that the ability to in zoo and burn doing someone for four protect a creature and or give a creature a double strike within zoo is insane. Because it's yeah, it means your Tarmogoyf can sometimes hit for ten. Yeah, it means yeah, it, and it's is it creatures you control gain indestructible. Permanence you control are right, indestructible. Correct. So yeah, like it's good on every really level. answers a board wipe if you're in like when you're zoo you can overextend with it in your hand. Answers fulminate it's never dead. to like yep. she like chomp your mana base down. Like it's it's just a very good card. Right. Um so that that's the that's the charms that C play, and we won't go through what each one does because that's too time consuming. But um <laughs> the, so something really interesting to think about these cards is the they you'll notice that the only three mana charms that I mentioned were fringe. Esper charm and Jun Charm. And both of those, you sort of want them to be good. There's all the. There's and this all the... is specifically a modern because, like, it's standard. Almost all of these saw play. I do think, and we mentioned this when we did the Conj review, that uh, not Abzan, um, Saltai Charm has the best chance of seeing play Being in modern. Good. Yeah, it it is an instant speed, almost abrupt decay in many ways, and that's kind of what you need to be looking for. The issue with it is Saltai in general is not heavily played in modern as a color combination because. Be the best blue card is Cryptic, and it doesn't work with two, th three-color decks. Well, so this this is what I was going to say, and I was thinking about this when we talked about charms. So um, we will get to Kologon's Command in just a moment, but the reason Kologon's Command is interesting is because of three-mana at instant speed, you get two things. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to justify playing a three-mana spell in Modern that only gets you one effect. Um, it's hard. Three is a very, very relevant mana cost of right. Modern. And then being no instant, instant speed helps. Yeah, big time. Big time. But any of the most powerful abilities you would get out of these charms, you know, like Saltite Charm, the most common ability you're going to use is probably the loot two, discard one. That's probably like if you don't have a target on turn three, you'll just like sift through and see what happens. I think that I think that's the the 
the backup plan. I think really the thing you most use is kill a creature. But I think the sort of what you have to look at is the safety plan. You say, okay, if I have this card in my opening hand and I happen to be up to matchup that's that this isn't specific against, which is the problem with the charms. That's right. that's the whole thing right, with charms. Right. Is like these have multiple abilities, but what if there isn't something for this to answer? Right. What does this do? And in that case, Salty Charm draws two Instant discards. Speed, one, draw filter, which yeah, is solid. You know, you look at all of these, like you know. Teamer Charm, for instance. Well, Teamer Charm is very similar to... Teamer Charm is a whiff in every format. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they, for the most part, at three mana, the backup ability on these cards just doesn't... Do it's, enough. It's not what you want. Right. You you want to hold open Remand, usually, or hold open some other two mana instant speed spell or something like that uh, and be able to, you know, get value out of your Charm. And you don't, on turn three, you don't want to be getting a single ability. Right. Um, which is why I think those have never really caught on. And it's an interesting point of design, right? Yeah. That 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 is, that is, seems to be... The in modern, the three, three mana slot, you need to be doing something more powerful than a mediocre choice. Yes. Unless you're getting two things, which is why commands why are, the so commands are so much stronger. We're interesting. Right. Um, they've done a good job on the charm design as far as the two mana charms go. Like they're all kind of, they're all kind of right where they should be in terms yeah, of power level. Yeah, avoiding the vaguely under, under like the just oddball underpowered ones. Almost every single one of them has seen some amount of play in the format. Yeah, they've all got their place. Even like blue white has seen some play. Yeah, the charm that to me is the most interesting. It doesn't see play, and and this is just from like our Highlander format. I think Evolution Charm is a solid card. Um, well, what, are its, what are its abilities? It's probably not modern playable. It's one green, one colorless for an instant. Choose one. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Or target creature gains flying till end of turn. Uh, it's interesting because enough of the creatures in modern have good ETB abilities. Right. So it gives you a reusable ETB ability Once on a you creature. you launch something also. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make something big flying. It like pushes into Harmagoy for lethal in a lot of cases. And lastly, if you, you it allows you to keep like a two-lander, or like a one or two-lander on the draw. Right. Um, I do think this at two mana is kind of rough. I think the card of the those one-color charms, the one I've seen the most, the one I have seen being played the most in the format is the black one-drop one. Oh, I've seen that. Midnight Charm. Midnight Charm? Oh, uh, wait. Midnight or Funeral? The one that's the time shifter or the one that isn't? Uh, that one. Funeral Charm. Target player discards a card. Target creature gets plus two, minus one. Or target creature games Swamp Walk until end of turn. Right. And and the, the matchups I've seen that in are like, it's kind of when Infect was playing black still. They'd put it in Infect decks because it definitely like helped them get through it. It also is okay in like eight rack decks. It's another one-mana one discard that also lets you kind of get some damage in. Sometimes, yeah, Swamp Walk is good against Abzan yeah, or yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Also, Instant Speed discard, we've talked about this before, is like it's very... Very strong in general. Which is actually kind of interesting with this card. Like, if you can, if you combine it with Snapcaster, um, it's possible that that card with Snapcaster is actually an interesting card. Going, going like, one-for-one. One. The ability to go, like, one-for-one one and then Snapcastering it back on turn three and going one-for-one one again... Right. Um, especially during draw step can be pretty powerful. One something to not overlook is it can also be used as a removal spell against any X1s. Yeah. Yeah, like, like Dark Confidant it kills. Yeah, Dark. I mean, it kills Vendillion Click, it kills Dark Confidant, it kills a lot of things that are just like, oh, I can make my creature bigger or I can make you just discard a card. So no matter what, I won for one you. But at, at its best, I get to kill your actual legit threat for one mana. So yeah, that, that's, that's where we stand on the charms. It seems to me they have done a good job of not breaking open... Uh, design space with these cards as far as making any of them too powerful. I feel like they're all right where they should be. A couple of them are kind of underpowered. None of them are overpowered. Right. Now let's talk about commands. All right. There so these are these are these are the shining I mean other than maybe planeswalkers, these are the most powerful version of these kind of cards. And 
I I want to say that up until now, Cryptic Command was like pretty much the best one by like a wide margin, with like all the other ones seeing maybe French play at best. But now that Call Against Command is in the format, the, like actually the Dragons commands in general are taking over. They're all very good. Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, uh, whoa whoa Incendiary Command exists. Let's, yeah, well, let's okay. not get ha- hasty. I-, I meant the new. <laughs> I meant the new ones. Um, which obviously is the case if you make them multicolor. So here, here's a really interesting piece, guys. The, the first thing is that it's very obvious doing two things is better than doing one thing, right? Wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So, so the versatility of these cards, right? Like their effect is mitigated by the fact that usually the abilities are a little less powerful. But in the, new, in the case of the new cards, they're multicolor, so they're supposed to be harder to cast. Right. Perfect for modern because multicolor in modern is the easiest thing Doesn't in the matter. world. You make something multicolor yeah. and modern, it's not doesn't even change the game unless you're making it like triple blue and like tr- double black or something. Well, I mean, in, I would argue that more mana symbols that are colored, colored mana symbols, in a cost of the same is more difficult to cast in modern than multicolored. Yeah. In general, they've yeah. So, so like cryptic is harder than call against command. Yes, this is true. So of the commands, there are ten legal commands in modern because every single one was printed lower one or later. Uh, of these 10, let's see. Atarka's Command sees significant play. That, yeah, that's like a that's, staple. That's one of the top. I would say that's a tier one command. Yep. Kolagon's Command, I mean, it's currently seeing a lot of play, but we'll see what happens as we go. It's brand new and people are just catching on right now. It uh, seems... I think that card will always be decent. I think that's an abrupt decay level card. Powerful card, yeah. It's like going to be a staple. Yeah. Um, Cryptic is the most played of all. Cryptic by far is the most played. Cryptic has been seen has seen Correct. the most play for, for now, the longest at time. At this point, yeah. Yeah, it's super powerful. Those three, aside from that, you have Primal Command has seen a little bit of fringe play. Yeah, there, there are fringe decks that play Primal Command. I'd also say uh, Dramoka's Command yeah, uh, is, is now currently... I mean, like once again, all these new commands were in a new land of what could be played or not, but like Inzu, that card could see play... It also, I've seen some flight cl- fight club lists sent yep. to me using it and um, obliterator. Obliterator. Uh, so like, it definitely has some powerful things involved with what it's trying to do. I've tried. I mean, I- I've tried designing with profane before. Um, I also have tried designing with Ojitai's command. There are interesting things here. What you have to remember is that if you can come up with one one good use for one ability on one of these cards, it's quite likely that another of the abilities on there will be relevant enough that if it's that powerful, if the one ability is, like, really good, you're probably going to be good. Like Right. Like, it, it, especially with the command, but, like, with the commands, like, a Tarkus command, just the dome someone for three is good enough to make the other things worth it. Exactly. Like, the best example I can use is when I was designing with Ojatai's command, I was like, okay, they haven't printed a lot of cards that resurrect. Well, I mean, I ditched it at the end. Right, right. They haven't printed a lot of cards that resurrect based on mana cost. So that's, like, a restriction. At speed. Yeah, it's a restriction that you say, okay, there are some things that are difficult to cast, or have weird casting costs that if I can end of turn get the thing back from my graveyard, maybe I can get some value from putting it in there. And also, it's going to draw me a card at the same time. So this is probably worth paying attention to. For instance, if this had been a charm and it had been one ability, it wouldn't have even been relevant. Right. Which is why the commands are particularly interesting. And Because because of... as long as you're getting one decent one, you can get a mediocre one. It should be noted that in modern, instant speed is the most, I think, the most important thing you can be doing. Like Agreed. And and the the commands have a, a really 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 at good least after turn two yeah strong foothold for that reason they all are interesting the ones that are instant speed are all interesting for that reason agreed uh, I okay so moving on to some unique things about the commands something that you always need to be wary of is and it's really unique because most effects this doesn't really 
happen in a relevant way, but specifically with the commands, it seems to come up a lot, and people always kind of make this mistake, is if you target something with one of its abilities, so say Colligan's command right. or Cryptic, and then you don't target something with the other ability, you do one of the other abilities, and they somehow get rid of that target, the spell is countered. The whole spell fizzles. The whole spell fizzles. So Cryptic, the classic one, is I bounce your creature, and they're like, well, I sack my creature, and yeah. now you don't get the draw card or you don't get to counter my spell, which is crazy. Which is, you know, a very powerful way of countering that card. With Call Against Command, same deal. If they shock a thing and you kill the thing they're shocking, then you gain an advantage. The, the, so, of the commands here, you have a couple that have never seen any play. Austere Command, Silumgar's Command, so far. The Silumgar's Command is very powerful. It's just cost five is the problem. Uh, but it's, I mean, what it does is really powerful. It's, yeah. Um, Primal Command is very fringe, and it also costs five, and it's a sorcery. You can't really play five mana sorceries in modern. Just it kind of doesn't work, you, unless they just say I Though win. Though, if I'm going to cast one, this one's not the worst. This has seen play. There are a few decks that do play this card, and I would say of the original commands, it's possibly the second best one. It's fair. Um, incendiary, of the other ones, Incendiary Command doesn't see any play. And never really has seen play. The 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 one that's possibly in contention with Profane, or sorry, Primal is Profane Command. Yeah, Profane Command, it, it's very good. Um, I mean, we'll be talking about that card more today. Yeah, but we're doing a deck tech later that involves that card. That card is sweet. Like it, it's uh, the the issue with it is that it's sorcery speed. If Profane Command had been instant speed, it would have just been like, oh yeah, just possibly too good. Possibly it'd be Call Against Command. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the interesting thing about about primal command that you mentioned the ability on here that really puts it over the edge is put target non creature permanent on top of its owner's library because it means you can you can mini uh what the hell is that called time walk no what's the card called though plow under plow under you can single plow under and get a creature in your hand or something like that putting putting their land on top of their library and then tutoring for a card is pretty crazy yeah primal command like there's design space as a as a brewer um the the consistent the consistent play with this was in, I think, Shada Yasuka's deck from that world, that Players' Championship, the one where Finkel and Kibler had the blue-white deck. Right. Um, and he had that crazy Primal, uh, not Primal Command, um, what the hell is it called? Eternal Command. Yeah. He played Eternal Witness, Ether Vial, Huntmaster of the Fells, this card, and Cryptic Command. Yep. And the idea was and that... Snapcaster Mage. And Snapcaster. The idea being that you would essentially get your Vial to four... Uh, or to three, so you could flash in Eternal Witness, returning Cryptic, then cast Cryptic, bouncing it to your hand, uh, drawing a card, and then you could just like do it over yeah, and over Yeah, cycle again. your Cryptics indefinitely. And and when you can tap your opponent's whole team and counter a spell they have, you pretty much lock a player out of the game. It should be noted, for anyone that hasn't played against it significantly, like if you're new to Modern, the reason Cryptic Command is so insanely powerful, like it's far and away, in my opinion, the most powerful command, yeah, like, by far. I don't. I don't think anyone would disagree with you. I mean, maybe people would argue that Colligan's command could give it a run for its money in Just the future, but like, yeah. it's not. <laughs> the reason Cryptic is so nuts. Uh, first of all, it's blue, so a lot of your spells that are tricky and are bouncing go along with it. Once you get to four, it means doesn't matter if your opponent's attacking for twenty-seven. You tap. You tap their board and get an extra draw. Right. Is like, and against Snapcaster decks, it often will be like. And that's its worst. Like its worst mode is tap your team, draw a card. Yeah, but that's so and that's, and that's really good. <laughs> yeah, like the fact that you can like you set up like a turn four, like okay, flash in something and bounce a creature or whatever block. Turn five, I'll cryptic, I'll cryptic draw, bounce your board. Turn right. six, flash in Snapcaster, flash it back, tap your board, draw a card. It's just yep. like it's yeah, and its so... relationship with Snapcaster Mage is not to be belittled. Yeah. I mean, like it, it really does. 
versatility is important. And if you even look at the new commands, they kind of winked at how good Cryptic was by giving both of the blue ones half of the abilities that Cryptic has. Right. So, like, the blue-white one, Ojitai's command, can counter a creature and – or count – Counter non-creature. Counter non-creature. Counter, counter remove soul, I think. Yeah, it's remove soul. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah it's counter creature and bounce a thing. Yeah. And the other one can counter a creature and draw a card. Or no, counter no, no, a non-creature and draw a card. You're mixing it up. Oh, it's, mixing it's, it up. It's, it's, I'm all wrong. Okay. Uh, Ojitai's command draws a card, gains four life, counters a creature, or resurrects a creature with two converted mana costs okay. or less. Yeah, yeah. And Silumgar's command, I believe, is minus three, minus three to a creature, destroy a planeswalker, uh, return target permanent to owner's hand or counter target non-creature spell. Right, so it's half and half. So yeah. like they, they literally split cryptic command and then gave them like each like weird trinket abilities. Yeah, but mana cost in modern is king. It's king. Like that's the whole thing. It's like I don't care how powerful you make a card that costs five. It costs five. Like, yeah. Even if it's instant speed, like it, you have to be playing. Name such a name the amount of five drops that C play in the format that aren't in Tron. Gideon sometimes and ma- like Argus ramp deck. So like Amulet Bloom. Like yeah, sometimes Gideon will see play. Gideon Kyrnos. And Batter Skull? Yeah. And, and Batter Skull is not seeing play anymore because Call Against Call commands against everywhere. Command. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty interesting. The commands are sweet. Let's. Uh... Oh, you know, something should be pointed out. Just something that I was just thinking about right now. Wayne England did the art on the, f- the original series of Five and Lorwyn. Okay. And if you ever think about like magic art, like I don't think about it as much as I used to when I was a kid. Obviously, art drew me to the game when I was a kid. Right. But think about like these, these, they're all. Are you, are you. Are you Vorthosing out on us for like the first time on this podcast history? They're really cool looking. Like the art's really sweet, especially on Cryptic. But like if they're all the same design. Yeah, they're, it's like a, a jar or like a, a container and like a weird circular symbol-y thing that's supposed yeah, to be the color. Yeah, some sort of cool like effervescent magic looking stuff coming out of it. And what's cool about that is that if you owned all those pieces of art or even one of those pieces of art on your wall... It wouldn't specifically look like a magic card. It's not like a dragon being slayed by a knight. True. true it's true, just true. like kind of cool. And somebody might say, oh, what is that? I mean, you can kind of say the black one's kind of a dragon. Kind of. It's true. It's like a dragon skull. Yeah. It's really saying. cool. Yep. Okay. I kind of want to own them all. <laughs> so uh, next, Planeswalkers. We've definitely talked about this before. The I think something that is overlooked with the versatility of Planeswalkers is that if they are a threat, they are also a fog. Because your your opponent has to attack them to kill them, which is a big game. Yeah. So okay, something should be talked about right now is that um, inexperienced players that recognize the power of a planeswalker because it's a mythic rare and it's a powerful card will often misplay in in light of a planeswalker hitting the table because they are their theory will be I have to get this off the table. Right. All my resources will go towards getting this off the table, and in a lot of cases that'll take them two or three turns, which is invaluable in modern like right if you so i talked about this because recently I mean, like I was working... a- ashiok is a great example in standard this isn't a modern point but for standard players what ashiok doug does is it she just gets huge really quickly like yeah. her ultimate is oh, decent but like the important thing is that your opponent's gonna just keep attacking her because or him i guess it's androgynous but uh the point more being because she is just threatening to always be playing their best creatures out of their deck, and they don't want to be fighting against their best creatures because they picked good creatures, especially if you're playing her against the opponent, they have to keep going against her. But she's so fat that, like, there's no way for them to kill her easily. So, like, and then, like, the entire time you're like, well, okay, you're paying attention to the Ashiok. I'm going to draw a bunch of cards and do stuff on my turn while you're, like, wasting your time with my three-drop. And just, like, that by itself is the most powerful ability on Ashiok. The fact that she threatens to be important later, but you have to kill her now. So, like, they're going to waste their time while you can do other stuff. Yeah, I would agree. So, 
They've never printed a one mana planeswalker. They've printed one. Uh, Death Rite Shaman. I was just gonna say Death Rite Shaman is the Death Rite Shaman is the one mana planeswalker. Maybe you could make an argument for um, the guy, the one drop does Lava two Mancer? damage. Lava Mancer. I mean, not like maybe Death Rite. you can maybe make an argument. Death Rite, I was gonna say is is the unofficial one drop planeswalker, and it's insanity when you think about that. Oh yeah, card. it was too good. It was I mean, it was banned in modern, and yeah. it should should stay banned. And I challenge anyone on Twitter to challenge me yeah, that on that point. That card's too good. Not good for the format. Um, weirdly enough, though, they've only designed one two mana planeswalker, and it's, it's terrible, horrible, horrible. I remember watching well, like Brad Nelson trying to make a case for this card at one point in standard, like, oh, Tibalt's actually kind of good. You should play Tibalt. Watch this video, and I was like, uh, it seems bad. Well, here's the thing with Tibalt. They could make a good two mana planeswalker, but the moment it's way too hard at that that mana cost to balance a card and so they went the opposite direction of making it you know what let's be safe let's make it bad <laughs> we checked the box there's now a two mana planeswalker and then that was it interesting enough his card did terrible but he was one of the highest in the godbook study of cards people thought were really cool interesting they let like so he is probably going to return tybalt the character is liked just because he's like devilish looking. he's like a cool devil dude that like does stuff but, he's like, like some combination of like satan and darth maul yeah he's, exactly <laughs> yeah he's like kind of sweet looking he's got like a like a pretty badass goatee uh yeah all right he's bad um so <laughs> but, okay but more to the point so in modern if you look at it there's been only so many planeswalkers that have been exceptionally powerful uh, the big ones seem to always see play. So the Ugins and the uh, Karns, if you look at what Liliana is doing, she's obviously, we did an entire episode on Liliana. Um, beyond that, it kind of drops off. Like Baby Jace has seen some play. Elsbeth sees some play. Gideon sees some play. Tezzeret sees some play. But like, for the most part, Planeswalkers aren't played that much because, as we mentioned earlier, and one of the reasons some of the commands are so powerful, is instant speed versatility is more important than sorcery speed versatility. Yeah, if we go through the list really quickly, there's 51 legal Planeswalkers in Modern. Um, and, and you go through the list. That grows by five every year. Yeah, but the thing is, they, they're, they're very smart when it comes to designing them correctly. So if you go through this Nowadays. list, of the 51, the number of these that have seen even fringe, like even fringe tier one, two, or three play, you're literally looking at, like, Jace Bellerin has occasionally seen play in some decks. I would say some decks have tried to play him. And Liliana of the Veil is amazing. That Format staple. Ajani Vengeon has seen a very significant amount of play. Yep. Uh, Chandra Pyromaster has seen some. Yep. I would right? say it's a, it's a staple. I would say it's a, it's like a lower-level staple. Yep. People play it. Elspeth Knight Errants has seen a lot of play. Um, I haven't really ever seen Garrick Relentless. Actually, I've seen a lot of lists over from this last weekend. Running like Garrick? The, uh, running Garrick. Garrick Relentless become, or Wildspeaker? Uh, Wildspeaker. Wildspeaker. Yeah, not Relentless. Relentless is the Innistrad one. That's the one that fights and then searches. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Wildspeaker is seen playing that sweet Utopia Sprawl deck yeah, yeah, yeah. where you can get four men on turn two with the Arbor Elf and then cast Garrick on turn two and then mm-hmm. untap your lands yep. and get three more men on turn two. Really good. Seven men on turn two. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Like, that that's seems sweet. real cool. Um. Yeah, beyond that, Gideon, nothing. Jace Architect Thought sees some play because Souls is really good. Um, that's the one that's minus yeah. one, minus yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it shuts down Affinity a little bit. It, it definitely is pretty good. I, I, I got to cast it over the weekend and was definitely happy about what it was doing for the deck I was playing it in. It's sweet. Now, like, I'll finish the list because it gets, like, past four mana, it gets real bad. Like, none of these. I've I've seen a mono red Cothless before, but it's super rare. Um, Soren, both Sorens have seen a little bit of play. Uh, new Soren, 
Old Sorin was a staple in black white tokens until New Sorin was printed, and now New Sorin is a staple in black white tokens. Significantly better. Tezzeret, there are Tezzeret decks. Yep. Four mana Tezzeret. We've, we've, we've four talked. mana Tezzeret has seen some play. I would say four mana Tezzeret has seen more play than five mana Tezzeret, For though sure. five mana Tezzeret has seen play and is more powerful in, in older formats. Beyond that, you have like the, the couple decks that played Garrick Primal Hunter. Uh, Gideon mm. has seen. Gideon say, has seen probably the most play once you get to the higher levels until you reach the Ugins and yeah. the uh, Karns. Because at five, like, yeah, Tamiya, Tez, like, n- none of those have seen significant play. Yeah. And, so, and then, I mean, like, what, what we mentioned this before. Mana cost is obviously important. Once you get to the higher levels, the only cards that are decks that are going to be playing expensive cards are the decks that are ramping to those cards. But beyond that, I do want to mention something with Planeswalkers. They are functionally very similar to commands in the sense that you get multiple abilities out of them, but they're all micro abilities. Normally, a Planeswalker's plus one is a small effect. Its minus is a slightly bigger effect, and its ultimate doesn't happen for a while. And then it has, like, all of them have a miniature, you have to attack me, or spend a card on me, or I'm a problem. Well, they all do something. They're minus. Every one of their minuses, or in the higher... The ones that are good at seeing play. They do something that is basically a a minor version of a of a playable spell. Yeah. So um, the best example you can really think of is a Johnny Vengeance. He's the he's the one that like he literally has, lightning helixes something. Yeah. Before. For minus two, he goes to one and right. he lightning helixes. Right. Yep. He, him and probably Liliana are the two that you would reference as like straight spell. Liliana comes down on three. Her her minus two is diabolic edict. Like target no, player. What? It's uh. Oh yeah yeah you're correct. Sorry. Diabolic Edict, target player sacrifices a creature. Yep. That's why she's so powerful. She's a removal spell and an attrition right. spell. And th- and in modern design, three mana for a Diabolic Edict is the correct power level for that card. Yeah. Exactly. Like, if you see any standard version of that card is going to be at three mana 90% of the time. Um, yeah, I guess you would never draw a card for three mana, so Jace Belarion is underpowered in that sense. You would never Right, sp- but Jace does something very similar to what um, Bob Ugh. does right. without the pain. And that's it, it's it's not you can't look at it as like I'm only getting this. What Jace does is he sticks on the board pretty much forever beyond that point, and that's where he starts being really good. Yeah, and I would say beyond those, the abilities start to get like pretty pretty like pretty wonky. Yeah. Right. So as we're talking about this podcast, versatility is important. Almost all these cards do two things, if not more. Um, and if you look at the one banned Planeswalker in the format, Jace the Mind Sculptor, he does four things, which is, and all of them are good. So, like. And he was just the most absurd card ever printed. Everything's absurd in that card. I mean, like, everything from fate, like, his worst ability is something that just straight up locks a person out of the game. He's beyond powerful. He's also unfun for the opponent. Yep. He's. For zero, he draws you a card and also makes your hand better. And also, with fetch lands, he arguably draws you three cards. He's at three. Like, yeah. he that th- th- that is so preposterous that somebody has to have a lightning bolt in hand or. A and creature. you have to brainstorm. If you plus him, if you're playing against a replay, you plus, and then you're basically brainstorming, and they can't do anything about it. Yeah, they're down two cards, and they're definitely not drawing a good one for now on. So we don't need to talk about uh, Jace anymore because he's not legal in modern. Right. Um, so yeah. I do want to talk about his like legality at some point in the future. But uh, so that's kind of versatility. The last kind of type of card that's versatile is the inherent versatility cards. We mentioned Vendillion Click as an example of this. Something I do want to mention is Fuse cards. Which are kind of like mini, sure, or sure. not fuse cards, uh, double set, double cards, where it's like they're basically commands, but you get different mana costs for what you're paying for each of the different choices. Yeah, reaching for water. <laughs> um, 
And, like, these are all kind of effects. All of them are what's happening is you get a choice and you need to be able to make the best choice. And the reason pros generally like control, historically, is because they like playing decks that like to leverage their ability to make choices to the highest percentage because they are going to make the correct choice more often than someone who is not a pro. And the reason charms and commands and planeswalkers are so powerful is because if you're able to make the correct choice, you're getting... 110% from that card. I would totally agree with you. Um, The Planeswalkers represent, I mean, they represent something that is so interesting in modern, which is that they're more powerful than anything that can be done in magic. They're the most powerful cards that exist. But in modern, because they're at sorcery speed... And their abilities are and, in sorcery speed. And they have speed. A, literally a ceiling at three mana or above. Yeah, it or means floor. they can't really exist as format staples in every deck. They have to be played, the right ones have to be played in the right decks. Well, and they're legendary, so it's hard to play more than one unless that lends it to it. But, I mean, like, don't get us wrong. Like, Liliana the Veil has been a format pillar. A pillar. One of the five format pillars. Like, since the begin, since she's existed in the format. Hilarious like, that Lightning Bolt and Liliana get played in the same deck. Like, <laughs> it's 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 not to be below how powerful these Planeswalkers are. It's just the effect they need to have on the board has to on purpose lock an opponent out of the game, and it it's not good for Magic to print those cards. Liliana of the Veil might have been a mistake to print, but it's obviously inherently powerful and it does something very strong in the format and that's why you see play. That's Some, when you play them. Somebody could argue that Lightning Bolt, Abrupt Decay, Liliana of the Veil, and Tarmogoyf are four of the best six cards in Modern, in which case you get to play four of the best six cards in Modern in Jund if you play it. Yep. And S- Golgan's Command. That's not one of the four. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's move on to the last sort of the inherently versatile cards that aren't in those classes. There's a few. I mean, there's not a ton. There's not a ton. Like, cards that have a lot of modes are generally speaking in the in the category. Yeah, like, I would say, like, okay, so we mentioned Mendelian Click because you can target yourself your opponent. Lightning Bolt is kind of in this in this kind of family of That's cards. That's like in the macro versatility? Like, well, not even, even in, in, in micro. Like, you have the choice of your opponent or creature. So there are two choices on that card. Which is, in, in, in Burn, that's like a legitimate choice you have to make. The, the most versatile card in Modern that is not one of these is Snapcaster Mage by far. It's, yeah, because, it's, but it's not because the card Snapcaster Mage is textured on it. It's because whatever's in the graveyard is, is a choice. But that's ultimately yeah. a choice, and right. that's why it's so powerful. Snapcaster is one of the ten best cards in Modern by far. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's, I mean, Eventually that, we probably should do a top ten everything, but that'll be like... Snap is like that'll be like year anniversary. Snap is like episode. A, Snap is probably a card that is on the level of Lily in terms of its power level that we could do a whole episode on Snapcaster Mage, just like yeah. in a strap block. Yeah, so, so many good things from that from that era. Uh, all right, so I do. You know, we're running low. I do want to actually do the deck deck for today. Oh, so this we is haven't done deck deck for a while. Deck. So we promised this to you guys last week. Uh, ben has been working on this. A little bit of a a background, Ben. Where, where did what what is this deck? Where did it come from? All right, so uh, I started working on this deck back like three four weeks ago, and it's sort of a hybrid of a few different things. Uh, there are some pet cards involved. There's like, <laughs> I'll I'll be honest with you guys. It started with one card, and that was Ojatai's Command. That was the first card that sort of keyed me into like, all right, I think this card's kind of sweet. It's instant speed. Like I don't have to tap out. What can I do with this card, right? Before before we continue, is the card still in the deck? No. Okay. <laughs> we cut the card from the deck. All right, continue. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, cards that cost... Okay, cards that reference mana cost in, in terms of their creature resurrection abilities, there's only a couple that have done this, right? Revelark does it, or is Revelark power? Power. 
Revlox Power. So yep. that, that's that's its own sort of like little puzzle. But like this card does it. Profane Command does it. There's a couple creatures over time that have done it. But ultimately, it's when it's open-ended like this and it's attached to a card that can do something else like draw your card, I was like, okay, what can I do with this? I've always had a thing for Mirror Superior and I've always been like, that's a 5-6 for 2. There's some clunky ways to cast this. People have tried. What can I do to try to make this better? So I started to think, okay, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get something out of my graveyard, what things are gonna be good at two mana? So you look, okay, Superior's pretty good. Apocrisite has kind of a, has some game with that. Comes in as a four four directly from your graveyard. I'm not gonna explain what each of these cards does yet because it's just too much shenanigans. Uh, we'll kind of get to that a little later. But uh, I started to brew with this. What I ended up coming up with is okay, the shell of a card that resurrects from your graveyard and Ether Vial is pretty decent. So if you can find cards that interact with both Ether Vial and have a low mana cost that can be targeted, maybe you have something. The initial version of this deck was Bant, and it played Mirror Superior. It played a po- so Mirror Superior is two mana for a five six artifact creature. Can only be cast using art, uh, mana produced by creatures. Still can be Viled in it too. Still can be resurrected from your graveyard by Ojotai's command or Profane command. Um, right. So I guess to kind of break down where it's at now. Where it's at now is that we realized that some of the necessary cards in uh, in the blue, white, green version were not as powerful as we needed them to be to compete with other cards of the format. Those blue cards, because this isn't the format for blue. No. All you blue majors get out of here. And the blue cards that we were going to play in this deck, because you want it to be kind of a creature-heavy deck, um, because what we realized was Collected Company is the, is the other best card in the deck. The combination of Collected Company and Ether Vial means you have eight ways to get these weird cards out of your hand. Add to that anything that references your graveyard, you're looking at about 10 ways to get these cards out of your hand. So we cut blue because you had to play cards like Thirst for Knowledge to support the, the strategy, and that's not a creature. Collective Company wants 24, 25, 26 creatures. We ended up realizing that the cards necessary were like Dark Confidant's really good because if everything in the deck's going to be a low mana cost, you'd love to draw more cards. He costs two. Hypocrisy costs two. Mere Superior costs two. If you play Burning Tree Emissary, which ended up being sort of the key to unlocking the power of the deck, which is a hybrid green-red two-drop, creates a 2-2, enters the battlefield, and gives you two mana, you could play Superior directly off the card. Which means on two, on turn two, you can get a 2-2 and a 5-6. Seven power on turn two is pretty good. So I guess from the perspective, I've played a lot against this deck, and something that's important to keep in mind is one of the strengths of what this deck is trying to do, and... I normally am drinking Haterade, but I'm more on board with this deck than normal. <laughs> um, is because it's every card, it, it's literally playing the most powerful two drops that are out there. Even if there's restrictions to casting them, it's playing them. And to do that, you're allowed, by doing that, you're allowed to cut low on mana. So you're down to 20 lands. We're playing Tarmogoyf, by the way. Play Aether Vial. <laughs> yeah, play, yeah, obviously we're playing Tarmogoyf. <laughs> Aether Vial and play Collected Company to kind of allow you to cheat these things into play and get as much value as possible and make sure you're always hitting those collected companies. Making sure when your opponent is drawing lands and flooding out, you're never flooding out. And making it so that Aether Vial just is always drawing you gas. Like, every card is allowing you to just to keep that train going, and there's no real bad top decks. Yeah, tw- it got to play 20 land, and because you're playing green, white, black... You can even play four Horizon Canopies, which effectively right. means you're almost playing 16 lands. Um, no, that's what that's what it means. Yeah. That, that's what that means. And also, <laughs> well, also because, so so you guys might be like, oh, well, what other creature? Every single creature in the deck, the final list, I think, is 27 creatures. Every single creature is a two-drop. Right. What And and what are the cards that aren't creatures other than the lands? Uh, there's barely any. There's It plays four Collective Company, four right. Ether Vial, uh, three Abrupt Decay, 
So that's 11. Uh, what am I forgetting? And the two profane command? Two profane command. You heard it. Profane command. Two, so 13, <laughs> 27, 20. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Um, that's that's the, the entire build. The sweetest thing about Horizon Canopy in this deck, and your Vile always being at two, if you pop a Horizon Canopy at any point in time, you have a near 50% chance of top decking a two drop that will immediately be Viled in. Right. It, it just means like during combat situations, there's crazy things you can do like... Uh, at 20 land, if you don't have a superior you need, often you'll keep a one lander. You'll end up drawing your second land on turn three, flashing in Burning Tree Emissary to get to four. Right. To cast Collected Company on turn three. Well, and, and the fact that you're doing... The, once you have Aether Vial in play, it allows you to do a lot of interesting things with other cards you're playing. So you're playing Pack Rat and Fauna Shaman, which I think actually interact very similarly in the deck, where they let you at instant speed either flash in a rat and make a second rat so you get to protect your rats and you now just can start killing your opponent with a giant army or with fauna shaman you can discard a card get any creature in your deck you possibly could need and then be able to flash it in immediately so it allows you to kind of play this game that your opponent literally has to just be able to react to every card in your deck at one point it should be noted like you're because you have so many slots for creatures you get to play all the power so you get to play your four to armagoyf and four superior I think three Hypocrisite. So that's right there. That's your 11, like, power hits on Collective Company. Right. You'll so you often, have, like, a 30% chance of always hitting nine power. Yeah, you'll often get nine to ten power off Collective Company. Um, but on top of that, it means you have two Spellskites in the main deck. You have a Scavenging Ooze. You have two Tide Hollow Sculler. You have, uh, you know, Pack Rat. You have all these different ways for you to win in different ways and all these different ways to interact with your opponent based on creatures so that... I mean, Pride Mage, I think, comes out of the board. We had it yep. in the main deck at one point. If you have that Fauna Shaman, Ethervile uh, uh, engine set up, you're kind, of a, you're kind of able to interact in all these cool things. Like, it plays in a weird Birthing Pod-esque mode of just like, I'm going to value you out by whatever I draw. But with a super low curve and super mana efficient. Yeah. Like, one of the coolest... Like, there's a couple of cool plays we'll mention, then we'll kind of get into matchups. But, like, some of the things you can do in the deck are once you have that engine set up, I've had games against Amulet where they go for Summoner's Pact to get their prime time, and then, like, I will flash in Tide Hollow Sculler during draw step after they've gotten the Primeval Titan before they can cast it right. to get it out of their hand, and then they don't have any removal, and they they don't, like, they have to pay for it. Like, right. there's just some really interesting plays. Same with Spellskite. You can search up Spellskite and flash it in response to Twin, or in response to Titan in that same deck when right. they're trying to go for uh, they're trying to go for the Slayer Stronghold and the Sun Home Fortress of Legion. Right. You can redirect both triggers to Spellskite. Yep. So you have the one scavenging ooze to interact with uh, Malira combos and things like that. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I mean, we we were super skeptical at first. I'm always hot on my decks, but generally speaking, I'll give up pretty fast. There's um, grains of salt. Yeah, this yeah. deck was surprising because we found that some of its best matchups at the time of design were some of the strongest decks in the format, and it was posting a like pretty right. like lofty so, win percentages. So, as the discl the disclaimer for the deck, it is weak to call against command, and this like pretty much when when testing we discovered a couple things. Call against command was in discussion at the time amongst like the pro community. Right. Currently, it's at an all time high. Yeah, um, that's really good against us. As well as the fact that two of the weaker matchups are Tron and Amulet. Right. Which won events last weekend. <laughs> yeah, we literally predicted one versus one. Like, these are the decks that are going to win next this weekend. If you expect to go against Tron, Amulet, and a bunch of Colgons Command, it's a pretty tough deck. Right. So this weekend, is a, it, it, this would not be a good choice for GP Charlotte, for instance, or any pre-TQs might be playing in. Yeah. The, the, thing, the thing that you want to remember with this deck, like, if you are listening and interested... 
The things that this deck does that are very powerful, that you have a chance of just stealing wins out of nowhere with, are turn two, Burning Tree Emissary and Emir Superior. That's very powerful. Turn one, Ethervile with like Tarmogoyf on turn two or something, where you can get Tarmogoyf and follow it up with Mirror Superior at instant speed. It means you can have three powerful creatures by turn three. Right. And the last thing it does that's very good is Packrat with Ethervile. Flashing in Packrat end of turn, turn three, and then discarding a card to make a second rat often means by turn four you will be just in a start, position. Just start vomiting creatures into the board, and they can't do a lot with the cards they have available to them. You'll often be in a position that if they don't have a board wipe, within a couple turns you're going to have a whole team of five fives. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen it happen, and it's it's very good. Like, those those are the strongest things the deck can do. And then collect the company for ten power. <laughs> um, so yeah that's the deck let's walk it through the gauntlet so black green decks now we kind of have to split this I would say you're actually favored against Abzan because you outvalue them and the profane commands help you get through the tokens just to hit for enough damage to kill them yeah I would say this was the, the matchup I was most surprised in testing that we were good against and it was I think the biggest reason is that there's a couple things here first of all Mere Superior is largely consistently bigger than Tarmogoyf and, and Rhino and Rhino so they're, they're two biggest threats um, both either bounce off of or die to your best threats. Um, profane Command allows you to get through Lingering Souls, but it also means that post-combat, after a Tarmogoyf bounce, you can shrink their Goyf by one point and kill them, kill their Goyf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sort of attrition matchup of them, like, killing a Superior or something like that means that on turn four, your ability to do the same trick with Profane say, killing a creature post-combat and getting back something that costs two. It's kind of your collected company's five and six. Yeah, against them in particular, it's very, very good. Um, you just sort of have... A lot of their best cards don't matter against you. By by the time you have an active vial, Liliana or a, or like a hand disruption spell don't do as much against you. Same with Collected Company. They activate Liliana or they activate... Uh, or they try to cast Thoughtseize, and you can just instant speed get things into play. Right. Um, so you're actually quite good against them. I wouldn't say heavily favored, but I would say like you're like 58 or 59 percent game okay. one, yeah, yeah. And after sideboarding, you probably go closer to 50 50. Um, their ability to just bring in more more artifact hate. Artifact hate's the hardest thing right. to do. Though though you do get saved by the fact that your deck a you have some anti artifact type plans like impact rat and fauna shaman plans, but you also are saved by the fact that people don't know what the hell you're doing. So like you might just have a game where you're like Tarmogoyf, Bob. Sack a land to get more card advantage and just like abrupt decay your thing, kill you like that. Like the normal Abzan plays of like just killing people with Tarmogoyf exists in the deck, yeah. And so they might be like, Oh, I must, I have to bring Graveyard Hate because it's Tarmogoyf deck or right. something. And you're just like, Oh no, the only all card my cards are artifacts, right? So, like, you definitely have you kind of do what Affinity or Tarmo Affinity does, where you have the Goyf, you have the pack rat you have the threats that are resistant to artifact hate just in case they just bring in stony silence against you to try and brick you it definitely seems like even after boarding you like we played like a bunch of matches of five and i won three out of five after boarding in a lot of cases so i think that's you know kind of proof that the deck is good against the tree now right in a matchup, like, classically, the thing you have to remember about Black Green is Black Green is good because it's decent against everything. It's not great. It's a 60% against the field deck. And if you are matching them at that 60% win rate or better betting them, being better than them, then you're favored in that matchup. And Jund, if it should be noted, is the new Black Green X deck that's getting played again. Now. And that has Colgan Command, and I'm guessing that Colgan Command in the main gives them the percentage points they need well, over you. Well, that and Terminate. And both, Terminate, correct. Because like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Path, path is, in some ways... 
interesting for you because it ramps you and you're right. such a low curve. Uh, often you're like on stuck on two lands or three lands. So path is kind of not the worst thing for you. Um, but then again, they don't have path. They have terminate and you have profane command. So it's sort of, I, I actually like Jun is just getting popular. We haven't tested against Jun yet. Correct. I'm guessing Jun is better. Let's move on to twin. Um, traditional blue red twin. This is our best matchup. Blue, traditional blue red twin is the best thing that this deck can play against. Why? Why? Yeah. Uh, you have two main deck spellskite, three main deck abrupt decay, uh, and you have instant speed threats that instant speed threats and aggressive threats on two. Like resolving. Resolving Superior off of Burning Tree on turn two on the play against Twin, unless they have Spell Snare, unless you just brick on all the rest of your draws, will often mean you win the game. Because one of the other cards you're going to have in your hand will be one of your three Decays or one of your two Spell Skites, or like Fauna Shaman, or some way to access it, and they just don't have a good way early to get your threats off the table. They might be scrambling to get rid of your 5-6. By the time they can even do it, you flash in Collected Company, you might even just hit Spell Skite and a Tarmogoyf. I mean, Tarmogoyf is traditionally one of the best things you can play against Twin, resolving it on turn two. But instead of Tarmogoyf sometimes, which is too small and dies to dies to uh, Bolt, you have a 5-6 that's actually a 5-6 on turn two. Resolving seven power on turn two on the play against them is very, very hard for them to interact with. They can Bolt the 2-2, two -two, but you don't care. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I think the Grixis Twin lists are much better against you. Uh, their ability to have disruption on turn one, to get rid of, like, say, your burning tree is really good. Colgon's Command, once again, is insane. Right. It's just really good. Your best play in the whole deck gets countered exactly by two damage and destroy an artifact. Um, they can also destroy your vial. Right. It, it definitely hurts you that where you, but I, I would say, like, and with going back to Jund a little bit, is they're cutting down on their normal answer towards Aether Vial. They're leaning so heavily on Colgan's command. And once again, you outdraw their value cards. They're two for running with you, but you're drawing gas the whole game. Mm -hmm. And if they're not killing you quickly, it doesn't help. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying it's not as bad as... Colgan's command is not as blowouty as people, I think, think it is currently. Sure, sure, sure. That's fair. Um, burn, we did some testing against Burn. Game one against Burn is really hard. Uh, they, but, Which, for most matchups, that's true with Burn. Yeah, what we found was that you can shift the mana base in such a way because so many of the things in the deck are cast off of like Collected Company and Ether Vial that you don't really care so much about double green, double white. Um, you, we threw in three core Firewalkers in the sideboard. Yeah, and and anytime you play against a red deck, a mono red deck, and you have core fire access the core Firewalker, your matchup just goes up. Yeah, and the fact that like you can do like like the fact that you know early in the game maybe on turn one and turn two you're playing you know threat or whatever and then on turn three if you have vile you're just flashing in firewalker um, is pretty strong especially because you can do it like mid combat so they maybe will have like tailored their game to playing creatures early because you don't have a blocker flash it in block kill their guy gain life it's hard for them to recover from that so right that's burn um, amulet is legitimately I think the hardest matchup. I, we, we don't have access to red for Blood Moon. And as we've talked about before, Amulet is a really hard matchup for a lot of decks. Right. It's a totally unfair deck. I do think you do have some games. So, and, and you mentioned it before. You have Discard, which is decent against them. And you have Instant Speed Targeted Discard, which is kind of insane. Tide Hall of Scholar is awesome uh, against them. They don't play removal in game one, generally, yeah. other than one Slaughter Pack sometimes. But right. he's a black card anyway, and you have two of them. 
resolving him on turn two on the play is often enough to get ahead. Yeah. Um, just getting getting because you you also you or... apply pressure and you apply pressure in a way that they don't have run answers to. And there have been a lot of articles out this week that talk about and we found this during testing. Spellscape is a really good card in this matchup. Yeah, it's very like good. they can't get rid of it because they don't have removal and it stops their prime time from being just the like the card that kills you instantly and you have enough power in the field that they can't even really attack you because you'll just double block their tarm their their dude and you lose one creature and they lose their giant six drop game one i think i lose 80 percent in this matchup yep. um i maybe a little maybe a little like a little better it's probably 30 70 but the best car the best way to beat them has been like you grind out their hand and you have like you know, you can block. I've blocked double strike prime time several times with like eighteen right. power and just kill it. And then you know, you have a couple creatures left, or you have like you just they drop deep top. Like the crackback is crackback is way worse for them than their crack at you. That's the other thing is if you can not die, just not die to the attack, you often will be able to just swing for lethal if right. they haven't come out like crazy, crazy fast. Right. And, and that I mean, like an amulet, the grain of salt with that deck is oh, if it kills you on turn one, doesn't matter. Like, that's how that deck works. It can kill you on turn one or turn two, and if your deck can't put up the fight there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a terrible matchup. It just means that you are going to lose on their god hand. Yeah, one card in particular that I don't play in this deck, but because the mana base on this deck is so uh, loose because of Vile and Collected Company, you kind of just can function off a single green source in a lot of cases. Um, I have considered, like, other two-drop options. Um, One thing I've considered is Leon and Arbiter. It's not in the board currently, but it's pretty good against them. Uh, that's like solid. It's it's very solid against if you can resolve it on turn two. Also good with Vile. Um, the other card that's in red that I haven't played in this deck but I have considered is um, Tunnel Ignis, which any, if anybody has messed around with that card, if you can resolve it on turn two against that deck, like it's insane. Like they have to, they kind of have to hive mind you because otherwise they're going to take 18. Right. And it's, they have to hive mind you like naturally. Yeah, it's they one. Like, they can't like triple play lands. It's a weird card. It's one red, one colorless for a two-one creature. It states whenever a land comes into play under a target opponent's control, if it's this, if it's the second or more land that's come in this turn, they take three, which means like a single, a single prime time in this deck usually is like. Which just shuts their ability off because they can fail to find. You can always fail to find with prime. But time. even their god hand, which is turn two summer bloom with it with an amulet, yeah. play what's it called three times? Right, is you, like you can just get them. They're gonna take nine off of the three bounces. Cast primeval titan. If they were to search, get two more, they'll take another six and go to and take fifteen. And if they were then to attack, they would then die. Like right, it's it literally brick walls the turn in in a way yeah. that like. So it's worth thinking about if you can support it. I mean. Maybe people will adapt. Probably people have talked about it. It's a little too cute, maybe. But I think it's pretty cool. Um, the last matchup we have is Affinity. Yep. Uh, seems like, once again, with Affinity in general, it's similar to Burn. The matchup gets better after sideboard. I know Stony Silence is in the deck, so that generally helps. You're playing White, which helps your Affinity matchup. You guys might wonder, how do you play Stony Silence in a deck that relies so heavily on Ethervile? And the answer is... It's two mana, and you just play three of them. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, you play three in the sideboard. Like, if you draw that in the matchups it's good against, and you play it on turn two, you don't really care. You'll usually come out ahead. Like, you, there's enough things this deck can do that aren't Ethervile that often, like, I've had games where I resolve Ethervile on turn one, 
and I don't play my Sunny Silence until turn three, until right. I've resolved a five six. And, and you can take you take the Aether Vials out for cards that are good against Affinity. You put in Quasali Pride Mages and Stony Silences, and you just call it a day. You're just going to play two drops naturally. Yeah, they always say the the best sideboard is just to win, and like you. <laughs> and Stony Silence just wins. <laughs> it's real silly. That, it's that, really good against them. Yeah, that card and Blood Moon are like two of the most like just stone wall sideboard swingy cards sideboard cards. Yeah, I can think of. So yeah, that's the that's the deck, guys. It's crazy why a red white deck doesn't exist anywhere. I mean, they do. Just, They're not good uh, for some reason. Yeah, okay. Um, so it is, it is really interesting, guys. Uh, I love the deck to death. Like, I have talked... I, I met a lot of you in Vegas, and we talked a little bit about it. Um, I'm really proud of it. Shout out to all the guys we met in Vegas. It yeah. was awesome hanging out with you guys, playing Magic, all my opponents. If I, you beat me, I'm going to get you next time. And if I beat you, well, challenge accepted. Yeah, Come find me. We had so much fun in Vegas. Like, really, and, and I think Kessler and I both kind of agreed on the way back. Like, it's it's we're going to try to travel to more modern-centric tournaments. We're really going to try to, like, get on top of that because it was just great to be around so many players. And, like, it was really cool. A lot of you guys approached us and were like, oh, hey, like, I listened to the podcast. Um, and for us, it you guys don't really understand quite how much that means to us doing this. We love talking about magic and like sitting in a room talking about modern is fun for us, but like I enjoy it 900,000 times more knowing that there are people that actually are listening to what we're saying. Uh, so yeah, uh, please continue to do that. It was definitely really, really cool for me personally. I don't know about you guys. No, I mean, interacting with people in person is way better than screaming out into the depth of the internet and hoping people listen. So like hanging out with people was great. Yeah. Had a great time. Loved playing. Congratulations to you for making day two. I'm never going to hear the end of it. Thanks, Kessler. <laughs> and that's the last time. <laughs> All right. So, as always, we asked you guys a question. We actually, it's late, so uh, we didn't get as many responses as we normally hope. So, I asked two questions, and I got one answer for each. The first one was, if you could create your own charm and or command, what would it do? And... Brian Brown, who is Brian at Brian BGRP, uh, said, is it command? And honestly, just give him fire and ice with fuse. Fair enough. Fire ice should be legal and modern. That card's totally. I know. That it's card's fair. And, I mean, I guess electrolyze is our version of fire and ice. Yeah, but this is sweeter because you can play it for two. And the next question was best control card in modern. And Rob Bovill at Rob Bovill, which is convenient um said crypt command and i can't agree more card is insane yeah. uh it costs two on both ends the reason fire ice is probably not legal in modern i think the reason that they don't make it legal is because it allows you in a blue deck to play a card that taps their land during their upkeep on turn two and draws a card yeah no it's really good i it, don't get me wrong i know how good it is <laughs> in, in legacy it's not as much of a problem because so many of the things you play are at instant speed and cost one or two but in modern like twin can shut a person down on turn two so they can't get a thing in play and then on turn three they win well, then they just do the same thing. Yeah, they lock a person out. Pestermite or Deceiver. No, like, it's, it's really good. It'd be too good. Yep, I agree. Um, eh, maybe. I don't know. I think that card's sweet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, speaking of Twitter, we are at the MMCast. I am at Kess Wiley. I am at Ben Bateman Media. And, you know, we hope you guys like our podcast. We have a sister podcast. You guys should go check that one out. It's about Commander, so it's a little bit more casual. But they're pretty cutthroat. I've played Commander with them. They're kind of uh, they're kind of way too, way too good at that game. So check them out. They're the Command Zone. They're also on RocketJump.com. Rocket um, 
rate us on iTunes. It's important. We've been, you know, we're going to be giving packs out. We uh, finally got our Master, Modern Masters 2015 packs in the grab bag. So we, we pulled them out of the bag just recently and sent them out. You'll find out what you get when you get them in the mail. And, uh, yeah, well, that that's it for today. That's the podcast. Super sweet. Sweet. I'll talk. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>